BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Hey there, and welcome to Between Bikes with Nina Compton and Larry Miller, episode 13, the 22-23 season. Today, pretty special person we get to sit here and chat with. Uh, Hannah Beekler is here. Nina's hey, best clap. Welcome, <laughs> welcome, Hannah. Thank you for having me. Hannah. You're the first Oscar winner that we've spoken with, I think, yeah. on the podcast. How, how did that change your life? Did life <laughs> got a little bit more hectic? Um, it did. It got a little more hectic and just, you know, I would say press type stuff. And, you know, you're, you're more visible after being on that show sure. or, you know, being seen. And it was sort of a historic moment as well. So that was it was the Oscar for best uh, production design Mm -hmm. for Black Panther. Yes, the first the first Black Panther. First Black Panther. Um, Your career happened pretty quickly, going from your first work as uh, production design to an Oscar. It did. It was it was um, really fast. Um, I, you know, you, it's, it was, <laughs> I mean, you don't really know what to say because it's not seen like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when I say fast, it was probably like five, six years since my first like, uh, film that got a lot of, um, uh, you know, press got a lot of, which was Fruitvale Station with Ryan and Coogler, who was right. the director, who was also the director of Black, the first well, Black Panther. Into, uh, yeah, so <laughs> that wasn't very long, and and so I think it was it was that the quickness of it that people were sort of like there was some excitement surrounded around it, and then you know being the first Black person to win to that award, yeah. to be nominated and, and to, win. to win, 
and um and yeah it was very amplified so it was very busy and it was yes. it was a little weird because i'm not i'm used to being behind the camera being quiet you know working quietly <laughs> well tell us about that that night walk us through being at the ceremony and hearing your name being called as the winner you know i was kind of um in a place where I, I was really sure that I wasn't going to win. I was sure <laughs> yeah. it was going to be um, Mary Poppins um, by John Muir, was the designer who's won every award he's ever gone up for <laughs> when he was nominated. So I was just kind of like, I'm going to have fun. You know, I'm going to run around. I'm going to see stars, mm -hmm. like people I fan out about. So when tell my, us, give us some names. My son was with me. And it's a whole week of events that lead up to that. Okay. So it sounds exhausting. It was exhausting, but it was so much fun. I, I was in spaces that I was like at Diane von Furstenberg had a lunch for all the female oh, wow. Oscar nominees across the board. So I'm like, show up to this, you know, black car comes and pick you up. And then I show up to her house in Beverly Hills. <laughs> Oof, I'm sure it's beautiful. And it's absolutely stunning. It's like, does this even exist? You know, everybody's all dressed up, and she's got this beautiful catered brunch, mm -hmm. and she made this fabulous speech, and she had a, um, she flew a woman in from England who is a whistler, and she whistled um, over the rainbow. Oh, wow. And it was absolutely just extraordinary. So I'm just talking to, like, Diane Warren, yeah. and just hanging out with, like, Laura Dern mm -hmm. and talking about Star Wars. Do you know, it was yeah. like <laughs> Melissa McCarthy and which then we got like, so they had like on your way out, there's a table of swag. Oof. You know. Of course, And yes. so everybody's kind of looking. It was like sunglasses and, you know, things of that nature. And I'm looking and I picked up a pair of sunglasses and then I looked and I saw another pair and I picked them up. And Melissa, Melissa McCarthy was like, I see you. <laughs> Trying to take two. Yeah. And I was like, no, I mean, I'm just, I'm like stuffing them both in my purse. And she's like, I got my eyes on you. So we had this little thing. So when I saw her on the red carpet at the Oscars, like I'm on one side and she's on the other side. And I kind of looked over and saw her and she pointed at me and she's like, it's you. <laughs> it's the eyes. It's a sunglass thief. You know, so we got a hug and, and, um. You know, seeing Spike and Ruth, mm -hmm. Spike Lee, I should say, Ruth Carter, who also made history that night. And, um, you know, just, you know, Adam Driver. My son and I were like, he's like, Kylo Ren. And I was like, let's go over there. <laughs> <laughs> I would walk over, can I get a picture with you? You know, so I was fangirl. Yeah. I was just like a probably bo bothered everybody, you know, from Helen Mir. I got to hang out with Helen Mir. Like just, she just walked up and started talking to me and wow. Christian Bale and Lady Gaga. Oh, that was wow. really, she's incredible. And, you know, she just, we were engaged in this conversation. It was like everything went away and it's like, you're Lady Gaga, you know? And, um, you know, I work with Beyonce and I'm like, Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> we won't, and we won't tell Beyonce. of course, yeah. right? Of course. I got to see people that I knew, like Barry Jenkins, who mm -hmm. I did Moonlight with. And um, so it was really fantastic. Um, uh, Regina um, King was there. She won that year yeah. as well. 
And that was really special for her, myself, and Ruth, just to be there in the moment together and, you know, hold each other and kind of jump up and down and scream a little bit, like, can you believe this? And um, so it was really great, you know. So you do the carpet, it's a lot of press. I got to the point where I was like, okay, I can't do any more press because <laughs> it was just one thing after another. And did all of that, you know, it was great to have my son there and took all the pictures. I just, it was, I'm like, I'm just going to enjoy the moment. Yeah. Again, I was like, I'm not going to win. I just knew how the, the Academy yeah. exactly voted. You know, and I'll, I'll take a centerpiece. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll walk out Look with something. Yeah. I'm going to take something <laughs> yeah, out of awesome. here. Yeah. You know, yeah, under my dress. <laughs> and so I'm, we're sitting there, and I didn't realize how fast it was going to come up. So they do Ruth, and I'm just like, Ruth, you know, yes, yes, yes. And then I'm like, oh, I've got like probably an hour or something. And then it was like production design. I was like, <laughs> you know, you know, and I just grabbed my son's hand and we kind of just stared at each other. We kind of just looked at each other's no. eyes. And I was just looking at him like, you know, this is, it's a big deal no matter what happens. Sure. And then everything just went silent. It just stopped, right? For me, it's like all of a sudden, like when you dive into water and it's like, Poof. yes, yes. And I can remember looking at him and he's smiling and, you know, I'm like, what's going on? You know what I mean? And he, and then suddenly it just came back into like, real, yeah. and he's like, get up, get up. And I was like, what? <laughs> I didn't hear them say my name. I didn't look at the stage when they were reading the, you know what I mean? I was so, it was almost like giving birth. Like you just need to like focus <laughs> yeah, on yeah, somebody, yeah. you know, to, to get through it. And so... I remember I stood up, I still wasn't really sure what was happening, and Fiona um, Crumbie, who was the production designer on, um, oh, oh, I'm going to kick myself, no. um, she was the designer on the one about King George, um, oh. favorite, she was the production designer on favorite, and we were first timers, right, so we were kind of the whole season, just like, ah, you and me. And I turned around and I saw Fiona and my first instinct was just to grab her and oh. just hug her. So we had a big hug. And then um, I'm walking down the, the uh, set decorator, Jay Hart. He's like pushing me out. <laughs> He's like, we gotta go. And so I'm in the aisle and we're going down the aisle and I had that big train. So Jay kept stepping on the train, oh. right? And so we get down and it's like, Christian Bale on one side and Jason Momoa and Lisa Bonet on the other wow. side. And Jay had stepped on my train and I started going forward and, and you know, it, my slit ripped. Oh no. And so Jason Momoa like grabs Jay and he's like, you're on, he's like, you're on her train and like moved him out of the way and like helped me with my train. And oh. I'm like, and all I could think of was like, okay, Jason Momoa just helped me with my train. <laughs> and Christian Bale's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, and as I'm walking up the steps, I hear J-Lo and like, I'm in these heels that are too big. Mm -hmm. So I, my feet are coming out of these because I didn't think, you know, one's going right. So I'm walking up and I'm just like, please don't fall, please don't fall, please don't, you know, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, it, you know, face plant on the steps. <laughs> and I hear this voice, I hear J-Lo go, okay, girl, you got this. She's like one <laughs> foot in front of the other. Like, I'm just looking forward and she's watching me yeah, like yeah. shakily get up the steps. And she's like, you got this one more step and you're up and turn. So she's like guiding oh. me. And so then, yeah, I gave her this speech, and it was still all very blur. You know, it was surreal and blur. What was the first thing you said when you got to that mic? I said, New Orleans, you heard me? Yes. That's right. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. That was awesome. Now, yes. that leads us to, you were not born in New Orleans. No. You were not raised in New Orleans. No. How did Neither you were end we, up? but we ended up yeah. falling for the city. Yeah. How did yeah. you make it here? Well, so now my brother's wife was here. Okay. And he was in California, and um, they had known each other years previous and dated, you know, around college time. And then he was driving back home to Ohio. I'm originally from Ohio. And he's like, I'm going to take the Southern route. And he went through New Orleans. And he's like, oh, I'm going to call Barb. She taught at Sacred Heart mm -hmm. and still teaches for Sacred Heart in D.C. They're in D.C. now. And, um, you know, the little romance sprung up again. Like, oh, okay, maybe this really was something. So they got married, like, in months, like mm -hmm. three or four months later. Wow. And he just moved everything from California, and then they moved here. Um, she was teaching at Sacred Heart. He was teaching on the West uh well, no, where's he? North Shore. He was making prosthetics on the North Shore at a little, um, like a little um, orthopedic, gotcha. you know. So around, I was going to school in Ohio. I graduated from film school. This is around 2003. And my brother calls me and he's like, hey, you know, the secretary that works here, her cousin is a grip. And he was saying how there's films here. And I was like, New Orleans? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, okay, I'm going to go to L.A., you know what I mean, like right. New Orleans. And so I did. I kind of scouted out both places. I had a young son, and they just weren't affordable. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any kind of, you know, people there. So he called me back, like a year later, he called me back. I'm graduating at this point. And he was like, I'm telling you, I see yeah. film trucks everywhere. everywhere. And, he, and it was just at the beginning of that. And he's like, come down here, live with us, you know, we'll help with the, you know, baby, we'll, we'll get you set up. And I was like, okay, you know, begrud I kind of begrudgingly was like, fine, New Orleans, <laughs> like, I don't, why am I going to the South? That's what I get, <laughs> you know, and um, here comes the Yankee. And um, yeah, so that's how I got down here. And then I just sort of started really busting my ass and realizing there's a lot of work here. Mm -hmm. So it really was work-driven. And then I had a network of people to help. Um, and then Katrina. And they left to um, D.C. at that time. They ended up coming cleaning out their house. She got a job with Sacred Heart in D.C. And I had gone back up to Ohio, and literally, probably like four weeks after Katrina, a job called me that was here, um, The Guardian. And they were supposed to shoot in New Orleans, but they were moving to Shreveport. Mm -hmm. And they're like, do you still want Ooh. to come and work on this job? That's a, that's a weird substitute yeah. for New Orleans. I know. That, <laughs> that's some advanced set design if you made Shreveport. That's yeah. right. Well, and I was the no lower rung Shreveport. at that point. I was lifting stuff and okay. carrying things and using the drill and doing electric. So I came back down to do that, was in Treeport for three years while the infrastructure got back here for mm -hmm. film. And as soon as it did, like everybody who was up there that worked in the business and film, everything just came back down to New Orleans again. So I've been here ever since. So almost like 18 years. Wow. Yeah. The going from film school to, and again, it's, it's, I mean, it's similar to everything that you go to law school, you get out and you're. 100 hours a week doing research for partners in the firm. You go to film school, what's your first job working in the industry? 
my very first job was cleaning floors in an art department on like a $2 budget feature film that was horrible. <laughs> but it was Allison Eastwood, Clint Eastwood's daughter oh, was wow. the producer, you know? And so that was like a big job and I got paid. So that was my first paying gig of like, you know, you're making, I think it was $600 a week, which is like 150 and I, to me, I was like, I'm paying rent. Right. You know, I'm taking, I'm paying bills. I'm doing great. And then I'm going to go shopping and buy new shoes. You know what I mean? Like that, I just yes. felt good about that. And that was in Ohio. And once I got a kind of a taste of that, I was like, um, yeah, this is art department. That's where I'm supposed to be, I feel like. And I didn't really know where in the art department I wanted to end up at that time. To me, set decorating, because of the Coen Brothers uh, set decorator, Nancy Haig, I was like, she was, you know, the almighty to me mm -hmm. at that time. And um, funny story, I wrote her a letter, and like handwritten, back in the day when you handwrite letters <laughs> and you put a stamp, a stamp and yeah. you put, and I sent it to her and like this address I found online. Mm -hmm. I was like, it, it says Nancy Higgs, there can't be that many Nancy Higgs <laughs> in the world. And I sent it to her and probably like, you know, I guess a year later she called me. Oh, wow. And she was like, I think she just called because she wanted to, you know, vent. And she's like, this girl doesn't know me. So I hate this film that I'm on. You know, and so she vented a little and asked me some questions. And I told her, I was like, I want to be you. I want to be like you. And I, you know, fast forward to Wakanda Forever. I'm looking for a decorator. And I called Nancy Hang. Wow. And she was full actually circle. full circle. She was on a job. She's like, I'd love to do the job with you. And I said, do you remember the letter that I wrote to you? And she's like, no, I don't remember that. And I'm like, I wrote you a letter and you called me. And um, the last thing you wrote and the last thing you said to me on the phone call was, well, I hope you do well in the business. And she says, I guess you did OK. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I should talk to people more often. Yes, that's so, great. So yeah. Um, what were your parents' reactions when you said, I'm going to go to film school? What? There, there could be, yeah, you there can't could be make money at that. Okay, you do your little thing. Uh, Hannah's crazy. You know, like, she's just a big dreamer, and this, let her do this. And, you know, my dad was like, oh, Lord, just come work with me, you know? Um, and I don't think that they were really convinced or knew what I did or still know what I do. My father passed on the first Black Panther. He was an architect. So I was always like, I kind of do what you do. And he was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes, and he did come and see one set. Um, you know, and he was very like, it's not permanent, you know, where's the electric, you know? Okay. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, they were kind of skeptical and I'd be like, oh, I'm doing this small horror film in Baton Rouge. And they'd be like, okay, <laughs> air quotes, whatever you're doing, like just as long as it's not illegal. And, um, so it took them a while, I think before they realized like, oh, Okay, you know, and then I got the, I'm collect, I, I cut this out of the magazine, right. you were in the magazine, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the scrapbook. The scrapbook. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how long did it take, just give us a, a brief overview of the set in terms of from the vision to actually executing it? And, and it will be different for a lot of different projects, mm -hmm. but if and something like, let's talk about Wakanda Forever, um, since it's really the last big thing that I did, that in total was two years. Yeah. And I, I know I'm exhausted just saying those words. 
um, <laughs> which I essentially started in December 2019. So we were working through the pandemic, which made it extra hard. But um, in December 2019, and that was where it really started conceptually, where Ryan um, Kugler, the director, um, kind of first told me about underwater world mm-hmm. you know and I had to take a couple weeks <laughs> I was like oh I thought I was just gonna have to you know a whole new world and so conceptually we started then and 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 the con the concepting was probably like a year of that mm-hmm. um, and then you go into the mode of building so you take the concepts and the approved concepts and then I sit down with drafts people modelers um, my art directors, my set designers, I have a huge team, um, my coordinator, my construction coordinators, my set decorators, you know, in all it's a team if I included every person throughout the construction and paint department, which is largely the biggest department, probably about 600 people wow. or so at any given time. And so I sit down with everybody and then we start breaking down the concept of what are we going to build and what's going to be blue screen. You know, what does special effects need? What does visual effects need mm-hmm. for us to build? Um, and because there's a lot of little pieces, like there's the big giant sets, which we had a ton of. Right. And there's the little pieces that we build, like, you know, the Sunbird, we just built the cockpit, but we built, you know, blue wings that would be, so we, so, the, so VFX knows how, what the shape is and how big they are. Wow. But the finishes and things we can't do because right. that doesn't exist. Vibranium is not real. Right. I was like, I was like, bring, bring in the vibranium, please. What? Oh, wait, no, there's no vibranium, I see. Um, so there's things like that. So it's a lot to, of engineering, especially since we had water. Tell me about, because that was, how big was the underwater world that you constructed? Because we had a lot of tanks. Mm -hmm. I would say the biggest tank, well, we had a tank that was like 80 feet in diameter. It was 20 feet deep. That was on stage, you know, and that was to do like we, the, the scene where we have the big Maglodon jaw that got dropped into the, that tank. Okay. So then we had, we, they were like, we need something bigger. And, you know, it's Marvel. So I was like, hey, <laughs> just the thought, why don't we dig a tank in the parking lot of the studio, the stages, the back lot? So I was like, you know, then we can do all the bigger pieces in there, all the swimming back and forth, right. the boat that goes up onto the thing. We can have people diving off of 20-foot platforms into it, which we did, mm-hmm. and um, we can blow stuff up, and we'll just build <laughs> the set onto that. So if you, that set alone was probably a couple football fields big. Wow. It was a Oton city. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So when they, when... A budget is established for a film. Mm-hmm. We won't get into whether or not you stick to budget. They carve out a piece for production design, mm-hmm. and that encompasses everything visually, basically, you see. Is yes. that correct? That's right. How do you, that was a good example, how do you stick to that budget knowing that, oh, wait a minute, now we're going to go dig out, in the, out, out on, the, on the lot? I mean, there's a lot of horse trading that goes on with like, okay, well, this is really necessary because we can use it for many, many things Mm -hmm. across the entire film, you know, and then I'm like, and then we'll put the set on it. So the numbers kind of crunch together in that way. So that those numbers are coming from different places. 
or we find more money depending on how much we feel we need it. And then, you know, you go, you know, it's above me now. (laughs) And y'all can go talk about that with the higher ups. That's a luxury on a production, the sequel to Black Panther. Obviously, it's easier to go and ask for money there. Fruitvale Station was a different story, huh? Absolutely. Okay, look, on Fruitvale Station, it was me and one other person in the entire art department and Payam, who I'll never forget. And um, he was trying to get to Burning Man. And that was like his big thing. Like he really wasn't interested in what we were doing, but he, he had to get to Burning Man. And so we did spend a lot of time making videos of him to win tickets. Um, it was fun. And, um, and I think my budget on that was, for the entire art department, was probably a little over $4,000. Wow. Well, one of the things I've read. <laughs> That's crazy. Was, saying it out loud, it's like, we did that. Yes. And, and it's one of the things that is extremely cool. Actually, that kind of plays into, uh, after we're done here, we're going to our other restaurant, Compare La Pen, is a mm-hmm. rabbit. Mm-hmm. And we're going to buy all the uh, bunnies that are on sale. For, uh, but but <laughs> keeping that hunting. with it, we're bunny hunting. <laughs> but one of the things you did uh, in Fruitvale that was your BART card, the uh, Bay Area Rapid Transit, mm-hmm. in the visor. Yeah. How do you ever sit back and say, that was kind of cool that I came up with that, that this shot needs, you need to have a BART card in there. Yeah. Go to the purse, pull it out, and stick it up there. Yeah. Does that, it just happens because you think of it at the moment? Yeah. Do you ever look back and go, wow, that was pretty cool? Or it's just, yeah. it's just, okay, good. <laughs> Good. No, that's important. Because you kind of look, you do everything that you can theoretically. Like, I've gathered all this stuff that now I know I'm going to go put in there. And then you kind of step back and look at it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. He would have that. He would absolutely, and he would have it in his visor, you know, because the, the conversation with his mother is around taking the BART mm-hmm. and then everything that happens in the BART. So, and I was like, and I did, I ran around to a couple people. I'm like, who's got a try? And then I like, oh yes, I have one in my pocket. And I happened to have one in my pocket. So, um, and, and put that in there. And then, you know, the fact that, you know, it was in and Ryan was like, that was awesome, that was awesome, you know? Cause he was so about, I mean, he is, not was, is. I mean, his town is is everything to him. And I understand that living in New Orleans, you know, it's like, I can love and hate it, but nobody else can hate it. Right, <laughs> right, 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 exactly. right. Exactly. I don't wanna hear right. any bad right. words if you don't live here. Yeah. Like, oh, you live here, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's then, talk about it. Then you say, yeah, 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 let's talk yeah about you're right. It, you know? Yeah. But it is, so it's very close to him and very dear to him. And I think in the same way that this city is to me. Um, of course, he was born and raised there. Mm-hmm. And so that those little things, those little details is what I learned from him and got and carried on into my career and, you know, really became a part of my aesthetic when I when I build a world. How did you meet and end up that you just clicked right away? He, he does a, a really admirable job of kind of keeping the the group of pirates together yeah, he does through different projects how did All how did that projects. start you know i was i remember i had i was on napoleon <laughs> and i pulled over crying because i was like i'm never gonna you know do this you know i can't find work and i want to be a designer and i was just really down and 
um, my mentor, Wynn Thomas, who's Spike Lee's designer, production designer, called me at that moment. And he kind of said to me, you know, I thought he was going to be like, oh, poor girl. She, right. he, and he was not. <laughs> he was like, get your shit together. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I, this isn't going to be one of those fluffy moments. And he kind of, kind of, you know, got me together and he said, go get an agent, as if that's so easy. Yeah. Go get an agent, you know, do these things and only do films that you love, that the script means something that should be in the world. Those, he said those words to me. Right. Three weeks later, after a lot of emails and phone calls, I did get an agent. Um, and the first script, she was like, she's like, okay, so there's this really young guy in San Francisco, and he's doing this really itty-bitty little tiny film there, and the script is great. You should read it. And I was like, and he has no money to bring you there. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll read it. And I was kind of like, I don't want to do that. But I read it, and it was just like my heart. I'm like, I have to do this. So I was like, I called her, and I was like, I want to meet with him, and I want to talk about it. And so it was over Skype. Poor Skype. Wah, wah. Um, it was over Skype. And it was so funny because there were so many technical difficulties. Like, we couldn't get the screen. The screen was flipped upside down. So I'm, like, holding my computer weird. And then... I kind of made a collage on my wall, so I'm holding my computer up to the wall so he can see it through the camera. Like, I didn't know how to do it right, because I'd never been on a Skype meeting. And I didn't realize, like, I should have just sent him a file of stuff. Right. And, like, I didn't even know. So we had this conversation, and he asked me some questions, and I just thought, gosh, he's so young, because he was 24 at the time. Wow. And he was still at USC. And so I was like, you know, but he was really, like, everything he said, it was like, why this kid is on it? You know, he's really smart, and, and, and I really want to, like, his vision is really great. Like, I, I understand it. Like, I understood what he was saying, you know? Sometimes it just comes easy when you can get what someone is telling you. And so he's like, you know, we're going to talk to other designers, and we'll get back to you in a week or so. And I was like, okay. And I remember jumping up and down on my bed, and I was all excited, like, this is great. And then my Skype rings, and I'm like, huh? How, why is my Skype ringing? And it was weird. So I like hit the, I was like, hello? And he's like, comes up upside down <laughs> again. And he's like, yeah, it was like 45 minutes later. And he was like, do you want the job? And I was like, yeah. Wow. And that's how I met Ryan Coogler. And so I drove from New Orleans to San Francisco, uh -huh. like three months oh. later, um, by myself. And uh, immediately, like, arrived there. I dog sat because I, I couldn't afford to, you know, Airbnb was just starting to be a thing. And I couldn't afford a hotel or to rent an apartment. So I found people who needed their dog sat for the entire time that I was gone. So oh, two wow. different sets of dogs, a Dalmatian and three Corgis. And um, did that, got, got to the first set of dogs, and then... <laughs> went and met Ryan in person at his grandmother's house, uh, Grandma Susie, whose house was actually the um, headquarters for the Black Panthers in 1968. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And then his two aunts lived on either side, and they were twins, Marilyn and Carolyn. <laughs> and that those three houses became our sets. All wow. our interiors were done in those three houses. And I just built, like, an addition onto the kitchen in Grandma Susie's house, and then we use Marilyn's house for like the bedroom um, and the opening scene for Foot Vale. So we very much like had to cobble together and we built and we went to the Habitat for Humanity to get like kitchen pieces mm -hmm. and 
and found people in the you know Craigslist who were giving away free things that we needed. Wow. Um, you know, the car that we found, we borrowed from one of Ryan's friends for <laughs> Michael and you know, the big the big get was being able to film in the BART. That was the big expense and that was what we needed to do in Fruitvale Station BART. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> so it's from that you went to do videos with Beyonce. Yeah. The Queen Bee. Yeah. How was that? Yes. We were in New Orleans doing lemonade um, for about two weeks. Uh, that was funny because when they called me, they didn't say who it was. They were like pop star. And I was like, pop star? Taylor Swift? No, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like, I, don't, I can't see myself doing a Taylor Swift video. And, um, and I thought it was just one video. I didn't mm -hmm. even know. And then I said no. And then they called two weeks later and they're like, hey, you know, are you sure? You know, and I was like, well, it's around Christmas time. Everybody could use a paycheck. Right. So I was like, sure, why not? It can't kill me. Right. And it's here in New Orleans. And I really want to be home and work because, you right. know, I'm away a lot. And so that felt good. And I could work with my friends, you know, that I hadn't worked with in a long time. And so I go to the hotel, and they're like, Lemonade is coming up. And I was like, oh, that must be the pop star. And I texted my son. I texted my son, and I was like, Do who, look up Lemonade. Who's Lemonade? What pop star is that? You know, is that some new person on the scene? Is that a rapper? Like, who is that? And then I'm sitting there talking to the producers. I'm like, oh, Lemonade's here. And I turn around, and it's Beyonce. And I was like, God, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, like, grab my chat. I'm, like, trying not to have a coronary. And she was so lovely. Like she came over and she was talking to me. And you know, sometimes like I just stared at her. Like she was talking, but I'm just like looking at her face. Like you really are that gorgeous. Yes, like yes. there is not a flaw. Like you have no makeup on, and there's no flaw. Like I'm just sort of like looking. And I knew she knew what I was doing because she kind of was like, okay, like this happens every time I talk to somebody new. And then um, she's absolutely lovely and gave me tons of freedom, sort of explained what she wanted to do and the places she wanted to shoot that were important to her. Her whole family there was there. Solange was there who lives here with her son and husband and and so and Jay was there and then we just got on really well and then she called me again to do a project in Jamaica and for um, Baychella as they call it mm -hmm. to do some concept um, development for that. And then we did um, some Black is King. So, and then for Renaissance, she had called. I was not available. I was working on a show in Boston. And um, so, but yeah, she just keeps calling. What's it like telling Beyonce you're not available? Right? You want to make sure. <laughs> you want to make sure that she knows exactly why you're not available. He's like, he's like, I'm literally stuck in Boston. I'm on a job. I'm working. I can't leave. I can't get out of it. You know, here's the it's producer's schedule. phone number. Here's the schedule. Here's the one-liner. Um, I love you. I love you. I love you. Please call me again. I would love to be there for you, but I can't do it this time. And so, yeah. And, um, and she calls pretty consistently. So I really like being part of her team, and I love being part of Ryan's team, who, you know, I find myself in these places where I'm kind of, you, you want to find your family in the film sure. industry to continue to work with. I mean, you look at the great teams, like Scorsese and Dante Ferretti have been together for 25 years. Don Bird and David Fincher have been together for, you know, since the beginning of his career. 
um, Howard and uh, Soderbergh, who actually did Soderbergh film because Howard wasn't available, but they've been together since the oceans. So it's it's kind of a coveted place to be. Right. And have you seen in your career and basically working with Ryan, are there, does he loosen up, like now does he not even think about the whole set design that, that you're yeah. on the same page and, and he trusts you? Yeah. How, how was it early on? I mean, early on, well, see, Ryan's such a, a humble man that he knew he was learning when we, like, on Fruitvale Station. Again, we didn't have much, but I always like to treat every project the same, with the same importance and the same process, whether it's a yeah. little bit smaller or bigger, just to give it that dignity and reverence. And um, so he really took time to listen. And then we would have these debates and conversations about, you know, the theory of why something wanted to be like something, which was very exciting. And so I, I got to learn him and he got to learn me. And then we understood that while our perspectives are different, we were basically looking at the same thing. So we got there using a piece of both of us. And now, he just will tell me a story about, now he just is kind of like, okay, I need you to, <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is when we have an underwater world, I need you to do an underwater <laughs> world, and I'll just go, right? And then um, he'll tell me a story about, like, the people. Um, he's about people, and so, like, how they lived, you know, the things he, he, he wants them to be able to do, and community, and, you know, it's really important for people to be eating for him, and how do they have a food source? Like really kind of hard sci-fi. And so I just go and then develop that, you know, and there's a design that comes from that. And, and we just have a shorthand. It's always been real quick with us. Like we'll go into a location and look at each other and he'll be like, bounce. And I'll be like, yeah, bounce. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need a whole lot of, you know, we can kind of feel like how that goes. And so he's, you know, a very important filmmaker for me career-wise but also just as a friend yeah that's pretty amazing yeah. to be together at that level which both of you at the time thought was incredible and were making a film and then to expand as as impressively as your both of your careers have have happened so on you're a very busy lady you travel what do you do in your downtime I mean, <laughs> there's not a lot of downtime, um, but oddly enough, <laughs> people are always like, what? My like really relaxing hobby is um, racing cars. Oh, wow. Porsches. What, what kind of car? You Porsches. race them or you watch them? Uh, no, I, I drive them. I Whoa. drive them. I like to get on a track and I like to go fast. And I like, to, and I, and I like my, my uh, Carrera 4S with a mid-engine. Good for you. We're going to have to put w- some earmuffs on the You didn't see the big, the big old engine car I pulled up in. That's no, 425 I horsepower with you know, wow. five, 5 liter 8 cylinder. <laughs> you go fast. I like to drive fast. Good. That's auto, That's an automatic. I you know I haven't driven a manual in a long time, but you really like go fast. And then I like to rally. I will rally drive. So that I and it's my dad's fault. <laughs> I will blame it squarely <laughs> on my father um, for that one. He was a wild driver, and he instilled that in his children. Like he would race us. He would be like like when we all turned 16, oh 17, God. we had cars. He, we would be someplace, like at a wedding, 
And my dad would be like, okay, who's going to get home first? And we'd all oh hop in our gosh. cars and shoot off all different directions. There, there goes the beat first. That's yeah. right. And people knew. Everybody get off the road. I'd be tapping next to my brother looking at him right like, you know I'm going to beat you. So he kind of like was bad for that, my dad. But so, and I found, and maybe that's why I find it a little relaxing or does remind me of him. But it's also, you know, you have to be really focused. You have to really, it's strategic. You have to understand the mechanics and the engineering of the vehicle that you're in. So it, all of that, you know, my son would say you're not relaxing <laughs> because of how much work it is sort yes. of to, to control a you're vehicle. Like that. That's what it is. I'm competitive. Yes. I am. And that's the other thing. I grew up in a sports family. And 100%, we were competitive with each other. We were competitive all through our youth and high school. And, you know. What sports? Uh, track. Oh, wow. Running. What did you run? I ran the 100 hurdles and the 400 shuttle. Well, shuttle hurdles, 400 shuttle hurdles, four by one, four by two. Wow. Yeah. And it was very competitive. And my brothers really went far with that. You know, my one brother went to Olympic trials. Oh, he, wow. he pulled a hamstring and was an, unable to continue at that point. So his career ended. My other brother ran for Clemson. He was at IU. My other brother ran for Clemson back in the uh, fridge days. Yes. <laughs> back in the you day remember, of the fridge. Death Nina doesn't remember the fridge. No. But uh-huh. William, the refrigerator Perry, uh-huh. a huge defensive tackle, and uh-huh. they would put him in on the goal line, and they would hand him the ball, and nobody could, could get, get through. Get through. <laughs> they called him the fridge. and um, Yeah, back in the, when Death Valley first came up in Clemson. So it was like a big deal. It was part of our whole life so the com- yeah. competition was there on the track off the track you know everything was turned into a, a some type yes. of competition I love, that. <laughs> I love that when you are away from town and let's say some major production like Wakanda Forever or you know Black Panther or Creed what's what do you miss most about new orleans everything it was really hard at the end of panther to be away so i was coming back every weekend like literally every weekend and because right after panther then i came back i was here for a couple months but then i went to boston for six months and i knew right then when i got to boston that i was coming home every weekend so i had an assistant that stays at the house because of my dog i don't travel my dog she's so old and um, and just I'm getting my housework done too. But every weekend I came home because I just it was too hard. You get homesick from here. Yeah. I can't imagine living someplace where you're like, yeah, I'm good. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I don't need to go back. Right. I just miss my neighbors. I miss my neighborhood because it's really community oriented. Like I know all my neighbors. Mm-hmm. We talk. Like I can be like, Miss Gloria, can I get a you know cup of sugar? Yeah. Like you know, I I have friends who live in L.A. that they don't even know. Who's next door? Yeah. I miss very true. walking outside and seeing like 10 horses going down Annunciation. Like, what is going <laughs> You know what I mean? Like the whimsy of New Orleans. Yep. I miss the weather. It's cold everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everywhere I go, I'm like, oh my gosh, why is it snowing in LA? Like, it's 75 in New Orleans. I hate it here. Um, you know, and I just miss my home, the uniqueness of the architecture. Like, I'm at a place, I think, just from what I do where I would need to be someplace where aesthetically it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to just look at 
10 things that look exactly yep. the same or don't right. have any character, don't have a story. And it's important for me to be surrounded by that kind of art um, in architecture, in just everything, which is New Orleans. It's the most unique city in the, in the country. Yes. It doesn't matter what country I'm in, literally, I can be... <laughs> I was in Oribe Gorge in South Africa, and I'm telling you, on a farm, and the guy who owned it, because we were eating it there, and he was like, you know, where are you from? I was like, New Orleans. He's like, New Orleans! <laughs> I was like, now, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, and I'm sure that that baboon is stalking us. <laughs> and he knew New Orleans. Yes. Everywhere I go, it doesn't really matter. And they love it. And they love it. They're yeah. like, jazz, yeah. music, and food, and, yeah. oh, you must love living there. And I'm like, yes, yeah. I do, and I'm going to go home. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do miss it all the time, and I'm away a lot, but I find my way, I find a way to get back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents... A new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. So nowadays, do you, how, how does it feel when people call and say, we'd like you on this project, but you don't either feel the project or you're rolling your eyes, like, why are they even calling me? Um, how does that process work now? And that is, are people calling you or your agent every week with something? Um. You know, yeah, they call my agent. I don't have to deal with those phone calls anymore, nice. you know, which is really nice. And there, I mean, some wild stuff comes up. So there's always offers. Wild good or wild bad? Good. I mean, well, I mean, weird, mm. maybe. Like things that, like, I would never think of me for that, you know. 
Um, and there's a lot of great stuff that comes in. And there's always projects that it's just like, that's not me. You know, I can remember after the first Panther where they called me about the Barbie project. And it was like, I don't, you know what I mean? I can't see myself. And it was more about world building. Like at that point, you know, people saw Wakanda and they were like, what? You know, we right. haven't seen anything like that. So it's getting a lot of those phone calls to build worlds. But I still want the project to mean something to me, no matter how big it is. Like that piece of advice I'll always carry. So it is kind of nice to be able to pick and choose projects and not really work like I just need to make money work right. which is I think a privilege and and can be rare in this world um well, to decide yeah I mean there's a there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of work that went before that so that's been really great and my agent does a wonderful job of dealing with that and we have a lot of big conversations about certain things and there's different reasons also to do things experience like I'm now doing um, the Broadway revival of The Wiz in New York. Wow. And, you know, I really am interested in stage. Um, and it's The Wiz. So that, I mean, it happened to be The Wiz. I mean, if it was something else, maybe I'd have said no, but I, it was intriguing to me to put myself in a place of, uh, uh, that's outside my wheelhouse, that maybe I'm a little uncomfortable, I need to learn, and I need to observe, and I need to be quiet and lean on the experts. Um, but also create a world in a way that I haven't before. Like, can I do this? Well, it's so. a lot more different. First of all, there's no CGI That's right. on Broadway. Um, there, and you, I'm guessing you only have a limited amount of set changes. Yes, on, yes. Through, an, through a play. The, as you came up, you faced a challenging time where, when you started, there was not a lot of CGI. You could do explosions and things oh, like yeah. that. Everything but now you could actually make a whole film CGI. But as you were uh, speaking about earlier, when you would blue screen something to, and show them the shape and the size, how big an impact has that made on your, uh, your work on films? That your ability to know what the nerds can do with all the technology, but have that still tie into your vision of that production or that design? You know, it's it's one of those things where it's like it can be good and it can be maybe a little scary for my job, <laughs> you know. And because, you know, you look at something like Avatar and that was basically all VFX. And they, they didn't, you know, the people who were acting as designers were VFX people. So they didn't, you know what I mean? Like, so it, you're kind of like, ugh. But when I'm working with that, for me, Ryan and I had always said, VFX will always be background. Unless it's something we, you know, cannot do in the foreground, like some of the technology and things like that, some of the things moving. So I build, and we, we really went to bat for that pretty hard, because Marvel isn't known for that up until Wakanda. Um, we built a group pretty much all of it. So they were kind of like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what are you doing? We thought you would just build like a little piece of the ground and then the movie affects everything. Um, I I pretty much, for me, I can't speak for every designer on, on the Black Panthers, designed the entire world. So I knew what was going to be in the place of the blue practical piece. Um, I designed the aircrafts in full. 
So we, we all look at it and we can animate them. So I have people doing animations of those things so we know how they work and all of those things get handed over to the VFX and I continue to work with them on like, this is what it is. Um, and so I need you to do this. <laughs> They're just kind of doing that and then making it real. You know, there's some redesigns that they'll do. They'll judge some things based on the shot because the VFX are done per the shot. Um, if they don't work logistically within the design that I've made or there's a piece of the design that they don't know what that is mm -hmm. and I'm not available to sort of redesign it, they'll do something. But for the most part, everything you see is what I have designed, whether it's VFX or not. Um, so, yeah, they get exactly what I'm designing yes. and then, then, then they make that. So it helps also in us understanding what that VFX is because I can have the illustrations there for the actors, for the director to be like, okay, here's our build and then behind it, this is what it looks like, you know? And um, they can feel, oh, okay, I see more of the city or the palace is over there. And so they kind of know where everything is and what the bigger world is in those particular spaces. But I, I, I'm one to push back on I'm, I'm using too many VFX in that way. The other thing about it is, is that you can imagine that type of a world, knowing that it can get built in VFX. Um, it's also limited. I mean, it's still expensive. And we can't do everything that way, so things get cut or reimagined. But, um, but yeah. Why is it so expensive? Because of how many frames you have to do, and I mean, you yeah. you know, you have to VFX that thing in each frame, right. so 24 frames per second. And if you've yeah. got four, five, ten minute scenes, that's that it's can get up there. And if you're doing big pieces of the frame as well, because you know, as the camera moves, you kind of got to judge it. And that's why we did so much in camera, which is lovely. There's that real texture to it. Sometimes they'll they'll enhance it with VFX, which I'm not. I don't get to, that's above me, I don't get to, that's a Ryan call gotcha. um, and the executives at, at Marvel. And, and, you know, I've talked to other designers and we all kind of have the same feeling like, you know, me having some, you know, uh, voice in the post-production VFX is something I have to go to bat for before I even come on the job. Normally, designers aren't. You know, and I remember talking to, to another designer and he was like, oh, no, I had that put in my contract because you do want to make sure that things are cohesive and you don't want to show up in the theater and be like, right. my, what is that? Well, that was you know? going to be my next question. Do you, are you able to go to movies and watch the movie? You just you're looking at design. No I'm right. looking at design. I'm like, okay, we're you know, I'm, I'm, like I'm eating, taking mental notes. Sounds like, mm. like eating with a chef. Uh -huh, exactly. <laughs> Somebody's going to have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a conversation about that little piece. And and so I'd, normally I don't really watch them. I'll, if I go to the premiere, I'll watch them then, and then I don't watch them again. And and the only one, <laughs> and I always tell Ryan this. He's always like, really. The only movie that I can watch over and over and over and over and over again, kind of like the, you know, Bourne movies, like it comes on and you're just like, yeah, yeah. because for some reason yeah. it's like Law and Order and Bourne, like I can just have those on constantly, like it's a new thing. Is Creed, the first Creed. Yeah. I can watch all the Creeds because they're all really great, but that, 
I can watch it over and over and over again and feel very satisfied about what I'm seeing. And maybe that's why I can watch it over right. and over <laughs> again. Because I don't pick on it. Um, I don't pick on the things that, that happened in it, you know, as far as the design. You know, I'm not, like, looking at the... Hypercritical. Yes. I'm, I'm hy- I am hypercritical. Are there any old, like, old movies, like Black and White, that you watch growing up or you've been able to reflect now that you do this professionally like maybe that had an impact on you and the way you look at making a film oh absolutely like I was stuck in front of the television you know and then it would sign off at midnight like that's how long ago (laughs) when the flag came up and then it went to the color bars um that kids that was they didn't have remotes then and um I watched probably every single Fred Astaire film, every single, um, what's her name, the swimming woman, Edith, um, she had a bathing suit line, and she did all those big stage um, synchronized swimming, Mm -hmm. like every one of those, oh, what is her name, all of the, um, like, Betty Davis and all of those movies of, like, you know, I'm looking into the heart of an artichoke, yeah. Eve, you know, all about Eve. And, like, these big, like, I, and then the westerns, like, mm-hmm. Sergio Leone's, all of the Clint Eastwood's, the trilogy, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, like, all of that. Chisholm, like, I loved it. Stagecoach, loved it. Um, I watched those movies, like, because I, I, when I was just, and then, you know, I started getting into the Star Wars and, like, the Cat from Outer Space and things like that, um, into the more fantasy stuff, but those movies are what I came up on, and the fantasy of it all, mm-hmm. the Tux, the Ginger Rogers, yes. the, you know, him dancing up the wall, yeah. how did they do that? Yeah, you know, yeah. my, my little eight-year-old brain went, yeah. and, you know, the giant sets that were intricate, right? They have a pool with the stairs that go around. Like, this is crazy. And she's diving off into this water and they're on a stage and then all the beautiful outfits and the Rita Hayworths, all of it. I almost had her name when you talked about diving off the stage. And uh, and it's right on the ticket. Merle, um... (laughs) I can't remember, you know. But all of that, the Elvis movies, when Elvis was acting and and all of the... um, Annette and Frankie, right on the beach, it's, beach blanket bingo. Right, yes. All of that. And it was all fantasy with the backdrops, and it was very Hollywood, yes. right, at that time. Very, very glam. I watched glam. Um, An Affair to Remember with Cary Grant. Okay. Um, it's Cary Grant? Yes. Yeah. And it's just the way that they dress, just to go to dinner. Mm-hmm. These grand ball gowns. I don't and understand a, how they pack. They're always in a hotel. <laughs> yeah. right. They had trunks wrinkled. that other yeah. people well, that's the trunks. And the yeah. diamonds. And the just diamonds, everything the was... Fur, the collars, the Nothing fur. was casual. It was no. always black tie for any occasion. That's right. And North I, by Northwest was yes. another great one. It's like the train. Like, imagine, like, we're, we're traveling right. in this beautiful train with my trunks and the, the pinched lux. waist yes. dresses <laughs> and the poodle. It's just... It was fantasy. Yes. You know? Esther Williams. We got it. Um, And um, I said Edith, so the over under (laughs) on that is that I won. Um, So, yeah, that stuff really had an impact. 
And then with what my father did as an architect, because he'd always take me on jobs and to sites and stuff like that and really talk to me about he built the house we grew up in. I helped him build the guest house. Mm-hmm. You know, he built the barn and I was always out there. I was the only one that cared, I think. So I was always there. He was like, can't hey, all do it. Yeah. <laughs> and pointing out like what types of architecture we're seeing as we're driving and what that means and the history of that. So mm-hmm. with that and then this like kind of fantasy other world that I would go off into, into the television. I mean, it was sort of inevitable that I'd be doing something in this realm. Something creative. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think a lot of people, you know, your childhood is so impactful on your journey. And when you think back, it's it's pretty powerful. Yeah, it is. It's like my son was always like, his father's a musician and do what I do, but he was very science-based, super science-based, you know, nerd, you know, D&D and Magic the Gathering, if you can imagine. So now he's like, like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm making this campaign for Dungeons and Dragons. I'm, I'm creating this world. I'm building this world. I'm like, oh, kind of like what I do. And he's like, no, (laughs) this is nothing to do with what you do at all. Like, and I'm like, oh, I must've been the same way when, you know what I mean? Like my, no, I don't do what my dad does. Yeah. I don't want anything to do with that. So yeah, I see that it kind of shit presents itself. You don't even know it. The, one of the other great things you've gotten to do is the, uh, uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art mm. gave you a call. Said we want you to curate an exhibit. Yeah. What was how do, how do you in a film you spend however long filming in different time and then put it together. When you're curating an exhibit, it just sits there and the people move by. Mm-hmm. How how was that a challenge? Was it a challenge? I mean, was yeah. it just exciting? No, I'm not really Did like you freak out over it. I did, because I was like, what? Like, I'm not really a part of the art world in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I have my knowledge, but not, you know, I don't have a PhD in art like all the people that I worked with right. did. I was like, oh, I didn't know they give PhDs <laughs> for that. You know, I, okay. Um, so it was a challenge. It's another challenge in being the competitive sort of person that I am. You know, I wanted to meet the challenge and I wanted to learn. I thought this is a really another great way to exercise your creativity um, to use a different part of that muscle. And, and yeah, and again, I'm outside of my wheelhouse and, you know, putting myself in this place was a little uncomfortable, but I, I guess I like to be in those positions. And, um, and at first when they, they approached me, they asked me to consult about Afrofuturism. And I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, I talked to the director and, and I was like, oh, she was like, you know, just give us a little, you know, let's have a meeting and you can kind of tell us about Afrofuturism and how you designed, you know, Wakanda and everything. And, 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 you know, I'll send you like where the space is so you can kind of like, if you have any ideas. And so I got on the meeting, I was like, here's the exhibit. (laughs) They were like, excuse, you know, like what? Um, I was kind of like, I started designing this thing as it's kind of my default right mm-hmm. is to like okay well if we're talking about the specific things in a village you know it should be a whole structure inside of the building sure. and they're like oh you mean like a house in the house in the building and i was like yeah design a whole structure like a set that's my default mm-hmm. so i kind of started doing that and they're like do you then they asked me do you want to cure curate this because i wow. started pulling in different artists from all over the diaspora um that wanted their voices to be a part of this and you know met really wanted to use a lot of their collection which did not include a lot of 
black artists um, throughout time. And I said, look, I will be more than happy to do this. I think what's necessary here is that anything that we put in this exhibit joins the Mets collection and that we start then not just making exhibits about the black voice, but you need to start collecting items about the black voice, you know, and and change how the Met now is working and looking at future artists. And if we're going to talk about the future, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And they were like, okay, so that was a beautiful thing that all of these artists work are now part of their collection. And that's a big deal in 150 years of not having that. You know, of course there was a Basquiat there, but it's Basquiat, you know what I mean? Like that's a given. But so this is, and that was, that was my goal is like, now we need to, if we're going to change things, let's change things. And so that was the beautiful part. And and the working with the Met was fabulous. So it was a really fantastic experience to meet all these artists, um, to envision what the past and the future means in an Afrofuturist way. And then to know, I think like three or four months ago, when I went back out to do a conversation about the exhibit, I was told by the Met director that that exhibit has brought more visitors than any exhibit in a year. And so now they're elongating the time that it will be at the Met. So it's been hugely successful. And And, uh, absolutely, it'll be there for five years. Oh, wow. Congrats. Yeah. So it's really, really exciting. And I think there's a lot to do with it because my suggestion to them, it was like, this is my perspective and my voice. But what happens if we keep the structure, we clean it out and we bring another artist's voice in so it can be here for these five years. But let's bring a different perspective of what this world should be like. I, I can't be the only voice. And that's how we have to start looking at the future. It's not one voice. It's several voices. So let's start doing that. Like bring a, a group of kids in who are artists and let them go to town. You know, what, what can we do? What can we bring? And what can we put in the world? So those are the types of things where I see a project like that and then understand how far it can go. Did you surprise yourself being that direct and assertive with the director of the Metropolitan Museum? I, I mean, that's it's it's... It's amazing. You know, I mean, that's a boss move. You have to have the conversations that are maybe aren't the most comfortable. And I think on that specific project, I realized that because that was all during the summer of 2020. Mm. And there was a lot going on in the country <laughs> at that time. Yes. It was heightened and it was, I felt that as well. You know, I'm in my house over there <laughs> and, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm feeling this, and 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 I now the conversation about this exhibit is about to change, yes. and so I had to I had to say the things like I can't just watch this happening and not be able to say the things that need to be said in a in a and hope that it's received, and and if it's not, then I have to figure out where to go from there. But the the great thing about it is it was received. Yeah. They heard me. They reacted in a way that uplifted that. And, and so, yeah, it wasn't easy. And, and I started to understand about myself that maybe I'm on these projects and in some of these positions for that. Because there has to be the voice. We always talk about, like, well, you need a voice in the room. But even sometimes when there is a voice in the room, you get a little bit nervous about saying anything because you want your job. Right. And so I've just taken the power away 
of that thought by saying to myself, I don't need any job. And I don't need any amount of money to be happy. I don't need any of it. And I'll always find something. Like, I have survived this long in my life, um, raised a kid by myself, uh, you know, went to school, had three jobs, worked full, you know, did all the whole thing. So at this place, I think I'll be okay, yeah. you know? So then I had to take that fear away of like, I'm just gonna say it if they don't like it, they don't like it. But the worst they can do is you know, show me the door. Well, yes. And so that's kind of my way I approach everything, which allows me the freedom to be like, hey, you're gonna need to do this. And let's talk about your history. Cause I did with them and the president, you know, of the men, I said, um, let's talk about 150 years of, you know, the way you have displayed black right. culture right. and um, and about how you really don't celebrate it in the way. And look, it's successful, right? They heard, they embraced saw, it. And, the and then look at the results. And now right. they're having another exhibit with a black curator. This maybe when I was the first female and the black woman designer at Marvel in 15 years because they didn't think a woman could do it right you know which is terrifying because i think that it's been stifled for so long Mm -hmm. and now we're opening up this can and it's people just like wow it's sad it's very sad when you you hear about the first black female chef or the first this and it's the first woman or it's it's terrifying that we live like that for so long and now we're just like but when you open up, you're successful. Yes. You're successful. Look at Black Panther. Now they've got more women uh, designers. They've got two more women, Kara and, and, and Beth. Two more women designers. And it's like, um, yeah, because that was, I did it, you know. And I held on for dear life to do it because I knew that that, that will move the needle, you know. And this woman brought you an Oscar, that you've never had in yes. 15 years from any of the 800 men that you pay you twice tell, as you much you <laughs> that you pay twice you as much that. as you did me. Yes. Um, I brought you that, you know. So why couldn't Kara or why couldn't Beth or any other woman who has the strength and resolve to get through a, a Marvel film? So I think that they have loosened their, you know, loosened up about who they're bringing in right. behind the camera and who's making the decisions and gatekeeping. So, yeah. You know, here I go. And my dad is probably up in heaven like, but I knew it. You know, just be the bulldozer who just goes through life, just, you know, bulldozing down all this stuff. So, yeah. Well, congratulations. And thank you for your confidence and your not giving up. One last question. The way your mind works professionally, seeing the way a set should be designed, a, a moment of this film, what happens when you go to somebody's house for the first time? <laughs> All right, that's for, that's what I figured. You're not coming to our house. That's... She's gonna be like, well, this should be. Over yeah, here. this this does this does nothing to tell the story of them. I've gotten better over yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've gotten better over time. I was just wondering. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for thank being you. with us. This is, I mean, we could chat for hours with yes. you. Best of continued success. Thank you so and, much. And the, the wonderful things you're doing in film, outside of film, and just for being a member of our community here in New Orleans. Well, thank you. And uh, thank you for having me in this lovely conversation. You heard me? <laughs> <laughs> we heard you. Way to close it up. <laughs>
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 